Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you today? Good morning, Wayne. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, this is episode 10 of our podcast. Who knew huh? when we started wow. back in October? Yeah, it's, and it's, it's been a very valuable public service. Uh, I can tell you that. So let's start with the vaccine rollout. It has been, by all accounts, slow, cumbersome, confusing, and not at all certainly what I and many other people expected when we started uh, at the beginning, well, actually on December 11th. Talk about that. Yeah, so it is actually going far more slowly than I had hoped it would. And I have to say that I'm a little surprised and a little disappointed because it's not like we didn't know vaccines were coming. Like we knew this was about the time period when we started needing to vaccinate large numbers of people. And what has happened here is, you know, in early October, we heard from Secretary Azar that we're going to have 100 million doses. Then by November, it was 40 million doses. Then in December, it was, well, we're actually going to get 20 million doses out because we're going to keep 20 million in reserve, which I think is fine. And now here we are two days before January 1st, before December 31st. And we have got, we're going to get about 15 million doses out to states. Now, that's not terrible, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is, uh, at least as of yesterday, 2 million Americans have gotten vaccinated. The, the states are getting the vaccines, but they're not getting it into people's arms. And that's a problem happening across the country. And we can decide that it's all the state's faults. They're all messing this up. But the real issue is there was never a last mile plan. There was never a plan to figure out how do we get the vaccines from states into people's arms. And it's so incredibly frustrating. It's going way too slowly. And the cost here is lives. Like when people don't get vaccinated, they're getting infected, they're getting sick, and many are going to die because of this delayed rollout. So looking to the future, when there's another pandemic, what can be done so that this mistake, and I'll call it that, this tragic mistake, doesn't happen again. Yeah, you know, I think we have to have a very serious conversation in our country about how we structure public health. The the longstanding deal has been that the federal government provides resources and support, and the state government executes. 
I think that's a perfectly good model. What has happened in this pandemic is that the federal government has not provided much resources and not much support, and we're asking states to execute. And in the complex global pandemic we have, it's just not working out well for the American people. So I actually think that when there's a true national crisis, you need a much bigger role for the U.S. government, because the U.S. government has certain powers that states don't, right? The U.S. government and first of all, they have the power of the purse. They can put money into things that states can't. The U.S. government can invoke things like the Defense Production Act in a way states can't. So there's a lot of things where we need federal leadership. And I think one of the questions we're going to have to ask ourselves is, can we possibly fight a pandemic without federal leadership? And if we can't, then we're going to have to build some sort of infrastructure to make sure we don't repeat all of these mistakes over and over again. We did this with testing. We did this with protective equipment for doctors and nurses. And now we're doing a version of this for vaccines. Well, I hope there's a correction going forward, as I'm sure you do and many other people do. wanted to talk a little bit about vaccinations of staff and residents of nursing homes. Yep. Last week, that began in 12 states, and this week in the pretty much the rest of, of the states, uh, and that's being handled by CVS and by Walgreens. Um, it begs the question, why were nursing homes hit so hard from the start of this? What, what does yep. that tell us about our public health system or about how we, how we treat our, you know, our frail and elderly? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think nursing homes were hit hard for two or three reasons. One is we know the virus spreads efficiently in congregate care settings. What do I mean by that? The virus spreads quickly when you have large numbers of people living in a single physical location uh, because people share the air, they share um, space. And, and so nursing homes are in some ways designed, almost set up to be at risk. Uh, for a, a, a viral outbreak. The second is the nursing home workers, the nursing aides, the other, the, the, the cooks, the people who do the janitorial work. These are almost always low paid individuals. Uh, they often live in multi-generational households themselves. And a lot of them ended up getting infected uh, in the community and then ended up coming to work. And there are two problems with why that happened. One is there's a lot of asymptomatic spread. So a lot of people just didn't even know that they were sick when came to work. And second, it's because they are low paid workers who don't get paid if they take time off. It's very hard for them to take time off if they feel sick. And so if they have mild symptoms, they're, much, they're still likely to come in. And so you can imagine a series of policies that we have in place about how we treat low-wage workers, but also how nursing homes are set up that allow nursing homes to become really ground zero. And then because nursing homes have so many elderly, frail people, when they got infected, they died in very, very large numbers. Can you break down the concept of herd immunity? I am one of the people who gets the basic concept, but really doesn't get the, what, what is herd immunity? Yeah, <laughs> how do, we, yeah, how do yeah. we get there? What does it mean for, for yeah. all of us? Yeah, so herd immunity is a, is a bit of a funny term. It, it actually comes from looking at disease outbreaks in animals, which is why it's called herd immunity. But here's the idea behind it. Um, that, and I actually, I like the term population immunity, but it's the same idea. Let me walk you through this. You know, if I, imagine that I'm infected and I go out to a dinner with six friends. If none of them have been infected in the past, 
class, if none of them have any immunity at all, then all six of them are susceptible. And I could give it to all six and then they could go give it to other people and the disease spreads. But imagine I go out to dinner with six friends and five of them have been vaccinated. Well, that'll mean that those people can't get infected. And, uh, and oh, or imagine all six have been vaccinated. Well, nobody will then get infected and my infection will not spread. So there is a number beyond which you can't, the disease can't propagate itself because every encounter that person infected person has, there are enough people with immunity that I'm not able to spread the disease. So the average person right now, we think that the average person infected spreads it to three other people. But if more than two of those three people on average are immune, it'll mean that I am, if I, as an infected person, I'm only going to spread it to one person or less, right? Because vast majority are immune. And if I spread to less than one person, and then that person spreads it to less than one person, well, what happens over time is that the disease essentially fizzles out because it can't find enough people to infect and the disease fizzles out. So the key concept here is there is a threshold above which disease outbreaks can't remain self-sustained, that they fizzle out. And that threshold is herd immunity. We think for this disease, it's somewhere north of 70%, 65, 70% need to be immune before this disease to fizzle out. Um, but it's not, there's again, even if you get to 50, 55%, the disease spread starts slowing because every infected person is encountering a lot of immune people. And if you really want to get this pandemic completely dealt with and under control, you probably want 80, 90% immunity because at 60, 70%, you're still going to see outbreaks. You're still going to see some spread. It just won't be the big outbreaks we're having now. So, Bottom line, herd immunity is the idea that in a population, enough people are immune that a disease outbreak can't sustain itself and it fizzles out over time. Thanks. Uh, that's a very good explanation. I get it now. I'm sure many of our audience members will as well. So uh, speaking of audience, we got a number of questions again. Uh, and so we'll go through, I guess, three of them. And the first... Yeah. First is, is it true that people who sleep less than six hours a night get less benefit from a vaccine? Oh, that's an interesting question. So my, my inclination is no. I don't think that I've not seen any evidence to that effect. Uh, now, chronic sleep deprivation is not great for health in lots of other ways. Um, but there's no evidence that I'm aware of that uh, being chronically sleep deprived will make you less uh, will, you know, will make you benefit less from a vaccine. So if you're chronically sleep deprived, still first get some more sleep, but second, uh, get the vaccine when it's your turn. So uh, a number of people ask what they should do if they will not be in their home state when the vaccine is rolled out in their home state, people vacationing or, you know, from people from the northern part of the country who might have a, a winter residence, uh, you know, in Arizona or Florida, is there any general guidance you could give regarding that? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, the short answer is we don't know yet because states are trying to figure out what their distribution plan is. And my presumption 
is that states are going to do it uh, based on residents, but we don't know. Like, it's an interesting question to ask if you're, let's say you spend your summers in Florida, or I guess winters in Florida, um, but you're a Michigan resident uh, and you have a Michigan driver's license. Can you walk into a CVS uh, in, in Florida and get vaccinated. Again, my personal hope is the answer is yes. We should just allow that to still happen. Uh, but states are going to make those decisions. And you can imagine some states saying, no, you have to do it in your home state. Uh, but I would, favor, I would push states to allow anybody who meets criteria, wherever they're residents, uh, to get vaccinated. Uh, because we shouldn't worry so much where you live and, and where your driver's license is from. Thanks. Uh, the final question that we got, a number of older people are wondering why they're not higher on priority lists. And those lists, of course, are set by the individual states. Uh, you know, I've gotten a number of, of, of emails and questions from people in the 70s and even 80s saying, you know, look, I thought I was going to be, if not first in line, second or third in line. And I don't know where I stand. And again, this is yep. state by state, but maybe you can sort of give a general response. Yeah, my general response is they should be. They should be right up at the top of the list. We know almost all the deaths have happened in people over 55 and a vast majority of deaths have happened in people over 65 and 75. Uh, so my, my take is this is a no brainer. We should be uh, vaccinating older people now or as quickly as we can. Um, this is part of this like rollout stuff that just has not gone well. Um, states are scrambling to figure out their priorities. Some states like Texas and Florida more or less are saying we're just going to go by age. But a lot of other states are trying to still figure this out. Look, my hope is these are kind of hiccups in the early days and that once we get into the first couple of weeks of January, we get clarity. But what I would say to your listeners is uh, especially if you're over 75, you should be, there should be a mechanism by which you should be able to get a vaccine, certainly in January, ideally in the earlier part of January, not later part of January. But as we discussed, vaccine rollout is going, I think, in a relatively mediocre way because there has been very little federal planning around some of this stuff. So I, I worry about timelines that I'm giving, maybe too optimistic, but the states will certainly have enough vaccines to give it to people over 75 and ideally people over 65 at some point sooner rather than later. Thanks. And for anybody who has a question, send it to me. That's G W Miller at ProvidenceJournal.com. And please write question for Dr. Ja in the subject field. Thanks, Ashish. We're coming up on uh, New Year's and let's hope that people stay home and not seeing that necessarily with the images I've seen. But anyway, happy, happy new year. We'll see you in a week. And thanks again. You know, when uh, 10 episodes in, uh, this has been a pleasure. Uh, this is our last episode of 2020. So uh, thanks for doing this. I look forward to joining you in 2021. Happy new year and uh, stay safe as well. Mm -hmm.